fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. You're darn tootin' it is. Welcome into the program. It's a pre-Friday celebration, the greatest day of the entire week. As we see the light at the end of the tunnel, we are officially close to it. You can almost smell it. It's either that or burgers. I'm not quite sure what it is. Welcome into the show. Hey, thanks for hanging out with us today. As always, broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, multiple radio stations all over the place, and more jumping on here soon as well. Live streaming, TV, podcasting, however you watch or listen to the show, we always love you to death. Your millennial general reporting for duty like we do every single day. Holy cow, man. I swear, there's never enough time in the day for us to talk about everything that needs to be talked about. And I say that every day, but I say it with honesty and sincerity. My email, whenever I don't get to something, I email the link of the article to myself to remember, like, oh, hey, you have an archive of things to get to here. As Rush Limbaugh used to call it, the stack of stuff. And I have one that continues to grow because I have so many emails that I've emailed to myself with links of stories that I finally just have to start clearing them out because I realize they're out of date and there's no use of even talking about them. So we're going to try and cram as much as we can in today. Bottom of the hour, Roland Rich. He is a United Nations expert. Don't need to be much of an expert to realize how dumb they are. But nonetheless, he also has his new book, The United Nations as Leviathan, Global Governance in the Post-American World. We'll talk about globalization. We'll talk about where the United Nations is at. Have a lot of questions, especially on how they're going to handle, I don't know, like Russia doing humanitarian crisis things and uh, we'll get to some of that and more where we're at the world economic forum that happened and where we're at with the big government across the globe so we'll get to all that in a bit i want to bring it back to the domestic home front here though for our latest and what's trending for the day what's trending today as there's a lot going on in washington dc and uh, by the way if you're a republican stand up for a second applaud and i never thought we would say this i never thought that we would get to this point but applaud pat yourself on the back you are winning in washington dc you're winning in the house of representatives we may not get all of the agenda done out of the house of representatives through the senate and to the president in fact we're going to get very little done but it's the point that matters that we're trying We're putting them up there, and I swear to you, Republicans, all the bills that you're putting up right now that you're not getting, you better damn well put up once you actually get the majority in both chambers and the presidency in 2024, which I am extremely optimistic about. But for a second, let's take the victories that we have. Let's take the wins. Let's take the big W for a second, and I'm not talking about George W. Let's take the the W while we can and the fact that we have reined in Kevin McCarthy We have reigned in many of the moderate Republicans, and for a single moment, cherish this moment, the the universe has aligned itself perfectly for just a second. Republicans are united in actually getting things done together without the bickering amongst themselves within the party. That right there should be something of all. The stars have aligned for once in a millennia to allow this to actually happen. So, again, (laughs) pat yourself on the back. And let's revel in it or relish in it for just a moment here. Kevin McCarthy standing strong. It is fun to watch Democrats squirm a little bit when they start losing authority because 
again, both the Republican and Democrat establishment thought that once Donald Trump was out of office, that things would go back to normal. They could go back to just talking about their talking points to the media and then still doing whatever they want to do, passing bills left and right without us really knowing what type of bills they're passing, and then just going about to business as normal, which is what the establishment wants. Once the Republicans got the House of Representatives this election, they thought again, well, the Republicans are going to control it, but they're going to just throw a little temper tantrum. We'll have a few of the moderates go with the Democrats. We'll pass some stuff. We're not going to shut down the government. There's not going to be a big threat. What in fact there is, and Kevin McCarthy, thankfully, is holding true to his word so far. And we have to, again, praise him for when he's doing something. It's almost like a dog. you got to praise him when they're good to continue to do good things. We have to continue to hype him up right now because he's doing what needs to be done. If you haven't heard, there's a few Democrats that have been booted off certain committees in the House of Representatives. And they're not happy about it. In fact, they're livid about it because they think that Kevin McCarthy has just sold his soul to the devil to the most radical, extreme conservatives that are in the House, like Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates and some of those guys. Again, evil to Democrats. When you hear those names, they bleed a little bit. They just, <laughs> they bleed. This was Mr. Adam Schiff just earlier today as they held a press conference. Him and Eric Swalwell and Ilhan Omar, who have all been booted off the Intelligence Committee. Now, why they were on the Intelligence Committee in the first place, I'm not quite sure. They're probably some of the least qualified individuals to be on the Intelligence Committee. And by Intelligence Committee, I mean they get to see all of the great classified information, all of the threats to the nation, all of the intelligence nationwide and globally on threats to the nation, and make proper decisions and recommendations on what we should do to further the safety of our nation. And you can see how well or lack thereof that it's run over the last few years, because if you remember, since the beginning of the Biden administration, the quote unquote intelligence committee, and I use that in air quotes because they're more political hacks than experts in intelligence or safety for the nation. They're the ones, uh, this committee, they're the ones that have come out to say that white supremacy is the greatest threat to the American nation. Now, is it a threat? Sure, there's a bunch of dummies out there who think that just because of their skin color, they're more superior than somebody else. If you believe that, you're stupid. I'm just throwing it out there, and if you don't like that, you can turn off the program. I don't care. If you think that you're superior or a victim, either way, based on your skin color, then you obviously are very a low vibrational, low individual who only focuses on very literally skin-deep issues, and you're not thinking with your entire brain because we don't like identity politics. We need to move past those. But according to them, they say white supremacy, who really only accounts for about 1.5% of the entire U.S. population, the last numbers I've seen at least, are the biggest threat to the to the United States. That MAGA is the domestic terrorist, meaning anybody associated, any Republican, any Trump supporter, any quote-unquote election denier, by their words, you are the biggest threat to democracy, even though we don't have a democracy. You are the biggest threat to the nation, and you're borderline domestic terrorists. That entire PR stunt from the Democrat Party has come from the quote-unquote Intelligence Committee, who says that we are the biggest threat to this nation that's related to the president over the last few years. That's why you're getting removed from this position. Other than the fact that you're corrupt as hell, but we'll go along with that. Adam Schiff wasn't very happy. Watching the Democrats throw a little temper tantrum today was kind of entertaining. This decision by Kevin McCarthy to bow to the demands of the most extreme elements of his conference uh, and use the Intelligence Committee as this kind of political uh, plaything 
doesn't show the strength uh, of his speakership. Indeed, it shows the weakness of his speakership, uh, that he is so beholden uh, to the most extreme uh, elements of his conference. All right, let's stop right there for a second. Uh, the play thing that he has, I mean, he's just playing. He's not trying to do anything. He's not trying to make any changes. He's just playing. It's just a game to him, which is why he's removing Republicans or Democrats off of the House Intelligence Committee, making those changes. Here's the headline for you that you need to be aware of, Adam Schiff and all you other Democrats. Changes are coming to Washington, D.C. No more of the same old, same old. No more of the go along, get along. No more of the elitist entitlement mentality. I know you feel entitled to be on a committee. You don't, and you're not, and you don't have to be there. So guess what? Uh, we don't have to go along with your crying and moping because this is kind of funny. Uh, and it bodes, I think, uh, poorly for how he'll conduct uh, the remainder of his speakership for however long or short that may last. Um, but more uh, to the point, by arrogating to himself the decision about who on the Democratic side of the aisle uh, should lead the Intelligence Committee, who should sit on the Intelligence Committee, um, he will cause the intelligence agencies, I think, to distrust uh, this uh, action and uh, in oh. combination with the formation of this so-called Select Committee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government, which ostensibly will have access to classified information. Oh, my. He's going to make the Intelligence Committee, meaning the FBI and the CIA, the intelligence community question whether they want to relay information to the House Representatives and the Intelligence Committee themselves. Oh, really? The play thing, removing them, distrusting. Now, that could happen if there's some political hacks in the FBI and CIA, which there obviously are, with the raids that, that happened after Donald J. Trump and the classified documents down there. So obviously there are some political hacks within the agencies, but that's their job to report to the Intelligence Committee. They don't get a say one way or the other. So for him, well, they're going to distrust them and there's not going to be faith in the committee and they're not going to want to release the intel. Really? Because I'm pretty sure that's what they have to do. They can't just go rogue and be like, no, we're not sharing that stuff because we don't trust you because you're political now because we made changes and got rid of political hacks that were on there before uh, and again we know that they're going to throw their temper tantrums there's nothing we can do to convince them otherwise but man this is truly the kid in a candy store flailing on the ground angry while they put on a fake smile because they have to get through this let's continue shall we uh, it will only i think breed distrust within the intelligence community as to uh what it can share and what it can feel confident about sharing with the Congress. Uh, that will impact policymakers in terms of the information that we have to make decisions about how to protect our national security. Uh, so uh, this is, I think, not an unexpected, but nonetheless destructive move by mm -hmm. Kevin McCarthy mm -hmm. uh, that will bode well, uh, that will bode ill uh, in the future for the kind of decisions that he has to make to placate the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Paul Gosars, uh, and of course, uh, his boss down in Mar-a-Lago, the disgraced former president oh there it is zing gotta get those little zingers in there man gotta get those little zingers now let's remember who adam schiff and eric swalwell and ilhan omar are and why they would be removed from an intelligence committee that would be seeing some of the highest classified information in this nation and would be making decisions of safety national security domestic security in this country based on the intel 
that they have. You have, let's start off with Adam Schiff, one of the most corrupt politicians in Washington, D.C. right now, who led the charge illegally, wrongfully, and unneedingly against Donald Trump for the impeachment twice because of false information that he received that he still has not backtracked on. Regarding the quote-unquote collusion with Russia and other things, of course. He led those charges. Nobody else. That was him. That was his 15 minutes in the limelight. And he hasn't gotten a whole lot of limelight since then. So that's why he's a little bitter there. He's one of the most corrupt politicians to use fake information. The suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop. The use of the collusion with Russia, which he knew was a farce. And he used that to try to impeach the president, which he did successfully two times against President uh, Donald J. Trump. Then you have Eric Swalwell, the guy who, remember Fang Fang? Oh, yeah, the guy who literally slept with a Chinese spy while being the chair of the Intelligence Committee in the House of Representatives and had an affair with a Chinese spy, giving her information with their nice little pillow talk. Yeah, you really think that he needs to be on the Intelligence Committee, right? Throwing a fit up there, causing a scene. Oh, they didn't get, John Boehner didn't get rid of me, Paul Ryan didn't get rid of me, Nancy Pelosi didn't get rid of me. Yeah, because we're doing a change here. Things are changing. Hope and change. Remember that one? We're going to start using that term against them. Hope and change is happening. We're going to get some hope back, and we're going to make some changes in D.C. because of that hope. Oh, yes. Then you had Ilan Omar, who, by the way, just caused a massive issue in the nation by going after, quote-unquote, white people, by not remembering what happened on 9-11, going after the Jewish community, starting a hate speech bill, and turning it around against hate against Muslim people or something. Oh, yeah. She's a real stand-up quality politician to be in D.C. to run the Intelligence Committee as well, right? This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Man, you would think that if you're trying to win over the mass general public, that you would not have the most radical yahoos in the Democrat Party coming out throwing a temper tantrum about losing their seats in the House Intelligence Committee. You would think that you would find the most rational, moderate one to be like, hey, there's a problem here. Kevin McCarthy's not working in a bipartisan manner. We're not working together. He's only stacking the courts, stacking the committees with Republicans and conservatives and the radical right-wingers when we need to be more moderate, more middle of the road. The only problem is, though, is that the moderate ones actually aren't leaving. So it's not a partisan thing, not a Republican-Democrat thing. He's only getting rid of the crazies. The Intelligence Committee, the one of the most important ones that we could have, uh, has a lot to do with classified information, which right now we can't really trust Democrats with that information. Now, can we? Oh, zing, zing. Obviously, with what's going on with Joe Biden right now. But we have uh, Adam Schiff, who wrongfully and unconstitutionally, in my opinion, impeached the president, the former president, two times based on false information that he knew was false information for a political hit job, which is not the purpose of the committee, nor as a politician. Then you have Ilhan Omar that's literally created hate speech in this nation by going after Jewish communities, by going after Republicans, by going after just white people in general because she's part of the B squad up there with AOC and Rashida Tlaib and the others. Then you have Eric Swalwell, Probably one of the least qualified individuals to be on the House committee, let alone be chair of it, which he was a couple years ago, when the whole issue broke out with Fang Fang and sleeping with a Chinese 
uh, spy to give information and having an affair with a Chinese spy while leading the intelligence committee. I'm glad that, you know, we have to actually go through these things and the fact that it's common sense while they're like, no, 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 that didn't happen. None of that stuff happened. And by the way, John Boehner and Paul Ryan and Nancy Pelosi, they all kept me on the intelligence committee. Why is this guy? Why? Because things are changing, baby. Things are going down, and it's going to look a little bit different in Washington, D.C. Ilhan Omar, I love as well, not only do they put up the most radical ones up there, but they make their own case on why they're unqualified. They make their own case why they complain about it. They literally make their own case on why they do not deserve to be on the committee. This is what Ilhan Omar had to say. Our democracy and our governing bodies rest on a healthy and vibrant debate. Our strength lies not in our perfection, but in the diversity of our voices and our openness to civil discourse. That is why, whatever our disagreements might be as members of Congress, policy differences alone have not and must not be cause for eliminating someone from serving on a committee. Which is not. In modern American history, the punishment of stripping a member of Congress of their committee assignments has been reserved for only the most egregious wrongdoings. That would be Adam Schiff. Those convicted or indicted on corruption. Those who have... That would also be, by the way, Adam Schiff. Those who have engaged in bribery, sexual misconduct. That would be Eric Swalwell. Encouraged violence. That would be you, Ilhan Omar. Or other grave charges. They literally made their own case on why they don't deserve to be on the House committee. That's kind of like Kamala Harris trying to talk about an abortion issue and saying, Constitution says right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Liberty and pursuit of happiness. We don't need that life thing. And just completely change it. You made your own case on why you don't deserve to be on the House Intelligence Committee. While complaining about not being on the House Intelligence Committee. Uh, Again, pat yourself on the back, Republicans, because things are changing. I don't have time. We may play it when we come back here after the break. But Kevin McCarthy had a response to this, which is beautiful. And again, I'm starting to trust him a little bit. You give him a little bit of an inch and see where he goes with this. But Republicans have him reined in pretty nicely right now, which is really good to see because this is what we've been looking for for a long time. All I ask is everything you're doing right now, Republicans, to continue to do when you have both chambers and the presidency, which you will get if you continue this momentum and stay true to what you stand for and what you want to do. Stop anything from the Democrats coming out of the Senate and continue to put up a conservative agenda, which you have been, with another issue we'll talk about a little bit later as well. Roland Rich right around the corner here on a Thursday for The Voice Reason. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right it is. Welcome back into the program. Moving right along for a Thursday today, the pre-Friday celebration. But we've had one heck of a week. Some awesome guests all throughout the week. Tomorrow, just to give you a little teaser, tomorrow we have a great guest, two great guests as well. We have, number one, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo with his new book that came out just a couple of days ago. We'll have, yes, Mike Pompeo himself, he'll be uh, joining us on the program right out of the gate tomorrow. At the bottom of next hour tomorrow, we also have a kind of a non-political issue, a very interesting Vincent Tolman. He 
20 years ago, died and died for two hours and was brought back and wrote a book on what he saw from the other side. That's kind of our odd, strange story of the week. Weird news of the day. Yeah. So we'll do that coming up tomorrow on the program. Make sure to stay tuned in for a Friday. Right now, though, really happy to have this guy on the program. I'm so excited to have this conversation because this is, as they call it, huge, and it's bigly. What's trending today? We just wrapped up with the World Economic Forum just a week or so ago. We have the global elites looking at centralizing all power. The hell with the Constitution, to hell with the United States and our limitations on government. And we need to go back to the monarchy style. Remember Barack Obama speaking over in the UK? I'm like, oh, yeah, this is great stuff. We love what you guys do over here. Uh, now they are taking it to the next level. And I think COVID-19 was that social experiment to kick it all off. And now we're just moving down that nice little gravy train as quickly as we can. Here to talk about some of that and a heck of a lot more. He is a United Nations expert, also author of the new book, The United Nations as Leviathan, Global Governance in a Post-American World. Excited to have on the program today with us, Roland Rich. Roland, how are you, my friend? I'm good, Andy. I'm good. Yeah, good. I'm excited to have you on the program. This is a fantastic conversation because uh, are we living in a post-American world? Are we really still the dominance of the world or has the American government, the American society fallen to, a, to the global elites now? Okay, that's the question we need to start with. Um, are we in the post-American world? The American world was the world that Woodrow Wilson and Franklin Roosevelt put together. It's a world of rules and institutions, and it's a world that was guaranteed by the physical, military, and economic power of the United States. Mm. Um, now, it was for most of that, of that period, the United States was the dominant world power. The U.S. is still the dominant world power. But there is a sufficient percentage of the United States community that no longer wants to play that role. And I think that has limited the ability of the United States to be the guarantor of its system. And now we are entering into a new system. And my book is imagining the best possible world of that new system. The best possible world. So, so that's a, we're starting at the high bar here, and, and uh, it's not even imaginable what we're going to see on the low end of it, right? <laughs> well, the low end, actually, Andy, we're seeing it. The low end is might is right. That's what Russia's doing now. Mm. That's, that's, the, that's the world Russia wants. Um, we see a world also that China wants, and that's China as the central power in the world. And going back to history, all other nations paying tribute to China, which means all other nations bending to China's will. Um, they're not the world worlds I'd li- I want to live in. I want to live in a world where we have global governance, and we have global governance from the only institution that exists that can provide global governance, and that's the United Nations, but clearly not this United Nations, mm. which is an ineffective body that, frankly, cannot deliver on its promise. Sure. Let's go back to some of the big threats here that are in the in the world right now. Obviously, like you mentioned, we have Russia with the Russia-Ukrainian uh, conflict, and Germany is now going after them because they're running out of energy. Potentially, World War III is the big headline we're seeing on Judge Report right now. 
Who is, do you think, the biggest risk of the global dominance in taking that crown as the global leader? Is it Russia with the maddening of uh, Vladimir Putin that they have? Or is it China because they're financially tied to just about everything right now in the in the globe? Um, it's China. Interesting. Um, th- th- this is the, the, the last hurrah of Russian power that we're watching now. Um, Russia will not succeed in Ukraine, and Russian economy and Russian society will be crushed by this adventure. Uh, China will emerge as the dominant power on the Eurasian continent. Uh, and in fact, uh, um, China's already almost there, but I think that is the likely next step. That's a scary thought. Now, and we have concerns here in the country as well with China, because obviously there's now legislation at the federal level and many states are passing this as well, concerned about China buying up agricultural land and how much dependency we have on them, not just with regular goods with stuff you get at Walmart, but I mean, fertilizer for the farms and the fields and a lot of stuff for the agricultural community. They have their hands in just about everything, don't they? Well, look, you know, it's a, it's a very large country. There's no reason why they should not be an important country on the world stage. Yeah. And there's no reason why they shouldn't be an important trading nation uh, uh, throughout the world, including in the United States. Um, I, I think their ambition is to go well beyond that. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not sure that the United States really is in a position um, in terms of its politics is in a position to challenge China as it grows. And that's why I think we need to go back to that American world, the world that was created by the United States, and strengthen it. I'm calling um, the institution I'm talking about in my book UN 3.0. We've had UN 1.0, that was the League of Nations. We now have the UN 2.0. Neither of them worked very well. And when I do a SWOT analysis, what's wrong with the UN, I get a very odd answer. The answer of what the strength is and what the weakness of the UN is, is the same answer, the member states of the UN. So the challenge is to maintain the best of what the member states can provide and to liberate the UN from the clutches of the member states who really want to, you know, keep the UN weak and powerless. You know, I use the term member states, but really that's a misnomer. It's about governments. Governments run the UN. And that those governments span the whole spectrum from democratic to totalitarian, from pseudo-democratic to authoritarian, narco-governments, military governments. That's who runs the UN. And we've got to allow the UN to rise above those governments. You're very true. We're talking with uh, Roland Rich, the author of the book, The United Nations as Leviathan, Global Governance in the Post-American World. You use that metaphor with the United Nations as Leviathan. Explain by what you're meaning by that metaphor. Yeah, well, Thomas Hobbes wrote a book uh, in the 17th century saying that um, uh, life in London was so insecure, it was a war of all against all. And what he wanted was for his fellow countrymen to agree that we needed that they needed a strong sovereign who would ensure their security. And um, the Leviathan, in um, Hobbes's mind, um, came to pass insofar as after uh, um, 100 years or so after Hobbes wrote his book, um, 
police forces started to emerge and rule of law started to emerge, and these were run by governments. Now, I'm using Leviathan as an analogy because we are living in an anarchic world of all against all, and we now need to agree to have a powerful Leviathan, not the same as the Hobbes Leviathan, but to provide governance. I don't want a world government. I don't want the UN to be the world government. That's an impossible idea. But I wanted to provide governance, governance for globalization, governance for democracy and human rights, governance for pandemics, uh, governments, incredibly importantly, for the refugee situation we're about to face. Yeah, it is. The way they handle things is completely bogus. I mean, we see a lot of the travesties going on still in Africa, and they don't do anything about it. I mean, no one seems to be scared of what they like to send in there with the blue helmets, quote-unquote. I mean, we have Vladimir Putin that's still doing humanitarian crises, blowing up apartment buildings in the Ukraine, and because they're one of the larger votes in the United Nations, there's no investigation on this stuff right now. And the governments that are dominating it, as you mentioned, are the ones that are deciding on what's right or wrong in the world, and there's no justice being done when that was the entire point of the United Nations. I personally would like to see it completely dismantled, not have a global government uh, because of that. Uh, But like you said, having uh, countries being able to at least converse together to make the world a better place is okay, but there's got to be limitations on these things and at least not have the tyrants being the ones dictating it, right? That's right. Um, And and, and yet, Andy, we can't get away from the problems we're facing. Um, And these problems are not going to go away. And, and one name for these problems are, are problems with our passports because they just travel around the world as they wish. Uh, um, we, we just saw an, ex, an example. The pandemic is a problem without a passport. Um, we're going to see um, climate, um, the climate emergency is a problem without a passport, and that is going to generate an enormous number of climate refugees around the world. Now, I'm not saying that you know, we can solve these problems but we have to manage them. We have to govern them in some way or another that allows our systems to continue. Um, Otherwise, we are going to be in the Hobbes world of all against all. Yeah, absolutely. Roland, we got to take a hard break. Can you stick over one more segment with us? Sure thing. Fantastic. I love it. I love the conversation. When we come back, I want to continue this on what we can do to fix the system, because as you mentioned, it is definitely broken right now. We've had two tries at this. Will the third one be the charm after the League of Nations, after the United Nations we have right now? What will be next in the horizon? And will it fall to the dominant tyrants across the world wanting to control or... Well, we actually have some type of civility getting things back down to the domestic levels and the domestic levels working together around the globe. Interesting conversation. The book is The United Nations as Leviathan. We'll continue this conversation right around the corner for a pre-Friday celebration. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right, Rod. Freedom, common sense, rationale. That's what this show is all about. Welcome back into the program. Last few minutes of the show as it goes by way too quick. Right now we're hanging out with Roland Rich, author of the book The United Nations as Leviathan, Global Governance in the Post-American World as we find a way if they're going to, which you know they're going to, 
How do we make it as efficient as possible? And here's the big question, Roland, is how do we do this? We have right now, and this is why I, I am so limited government we can possibly get and i uh, we see every time that that politicians or or people that try to control end up screwing it up in some way shape or form uh we've had as you mentioned we had the league of nations we have the united nations now that really don't do a whole lot and america right now is financing a vast majority of the united nations and a lot of their initiatives right now but even on a regional level we have nato that's crumbled now we have something a little bit different the usmca or whatever it's called, we have the uh, it's, uh, uh, we have the European Union, and the European Union, uh, I mean, is is so inefficient. The UK tried to break out of it with their Brexit because they had legislation for like two thousand pages worth of regulations on how to trade a piece of cabbage from one one country line to another. Uh, are we able to make something like this efficient to work for the benefit, or is it just going to be one failed attempt to, after another? We, we have to remain optimistic that we can do something better. So I said we need to limit governments and we need to balance governments. Yeah. One of the ideas in the book is alongside the United Nations General Assembly, we need two other General Assemblies, one for the business community and one for civil society. Then we will have a far more balanced voice from the international community. And, of course, the business community and the civil society world will not be parallel to the nations of the world. They will reflect the reality of the business community and the reality of civil society around the world. And, therefore, they won't be, as to use a technical term, Westphalian. They won't each, there won't be one business from every country. The business community will be represented depending on the size and strength of the business community. I think in the long term, we need that voice in the United Nations because that will be an effective voice. That will be a voice that knows how to get things done. And the civil society voice, that will be a voice that will be be able to set the agenda. These are two things that the governments have not been able to do thus far. Yeah, that is very true. That's their biggest struggle. Right now, they're not the business owners, so they're the ones trying to abuse the businesses and setting you know, global tax rates for businesses that try to, that try to trade and try and do business across country lines sort of thing. If we had input from the private sectors, would this benefit, do you think, as opposed to what we have right now? Because what we're seeing right now is, for example, the King of England, the new King of England, King Charles, is coming out and saying, well, we're going to try and just squeeze the private sector until it's no more. That's the biggest threat, I think, right now, isn't it? Well, we need an effective private sector. You know, there's just no doubt about it that you know the market system is a wealth creating system, and we need to maintain that process, and we need to have its voice at the international community. You 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 spoke about uh, Davos um, at the beginning of the program, Andy. That is the voice largely of the international business community, and we need to integrate that into the decision making of the UN. Mm, I like it. Now, the, some of the other ones as well, just not just the World Economic Forum, but then we have the G12, the G8, some of these other ones. Where do those fit in, and are those beneficial, do you think? Well, you know, the G7 and the G20 are governments, so they are just a more efficient way for governments to get together and make decisions. Um, you know, that's a process of summary that, that they meet at the summit level, and 
and that's an efficient way of meeting. Unfortunately, we can't have a summit of 193 countries <laughs> in the UN to come up with an efficient decision. That's why we have a G20. That's just about the maximum size that you can get together and, and be effective in decision-making. But even they lack the voices of civil society and the business community. I want to include those in the UN 3.0 that I'm imagining. Yeah, including the private sector, including the business owners that actually see the boots on the ground, what's going on across the globe. It is the United Nations as Leviathan, global governance in the post-American world. Roland Rich is the author. Roland, it's great to talk to you, my friend. We're out of time. I appreciate it very much. we got to get you back on the show again real soon, my friend. Thanks, Andy. Good to talk to you. Hey, you as well. Very interesting conversation as we continue to move forward. Uh, And obviously, this is going to happen one way or the other. The downsizing and ridding of a global oversight from governments is not going to happen. So how do we make this as efficient as possible? That's a very fascinating conversation we'll continue to have on this program. Until then, we're out of time. It's all done. There's no more we can do. Back at it tomorrow for a Friday. Big show lined up tomorrow as well. Make sure to stay tuned in. Until then, be your own voice of reason. Be that catalyst for change. This is The Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.